As you know, we're on week five of our Witness series. And this series is sort of built to impress upon you the importance of giving your witness, of understanding that you have a community witness as we come together, but also to understand the witness of others and often those who are not necessarily like you or not necessarily like me. Because the truth is history gives us a particular witness as well, right? What we get from history, the history of the Christian church, the history of a certain country, the history of a, a certain group of people, what we get from those kinds of history are very particular. But history is an interesting thing. As it is written by those who decided to sit down and put pen to paper. Who is writing it and why it's being written is very important to our understanding of what history actually is. Winston Churchill probably has the best line about history of anyone. He says, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it, which I think is the smartest thing you could do. And if you've read the biography or any biography of Winston Churchill, I just finished um, Boris Johnson's um, history of Winston Churchill, by the way, which you may not like Boris Johnson as a politician, but he was a really good writer. And he, I, I recommend that book very highly. And every night you could see Winston Churchill sitting down, often in a bath, um, definitely with a massive cigar and um, I, you know, whiskey of some sort, writing the history of the day. And so history treats him kindly because he decided to write it. Now, our history of Christianity coincides with our understanding of the Western world more than anything else. But when we move our focus away from Europe, everything that we think we know about Christianity shifts kaleidoscopically and sometimes even alarmingly. How little we know about the Eastern and the African churches is pretty phenomenal. And by phenomenal, I mean pretty overwhelming. Because, because, like I said, we have a particular history. But what happens when part of history is lost to the world due to politics or destruction or simply time? You know, the history of Christianity is long and deep, but it is not just Western. And I've referenced this before, certainly, but... Um, but a few, a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, um, I got a call from La Sierra University and they said, would you, would you be interested in teaching this quarter? And I said, yes. And there's a few classes that I've taught over the years. And so I'm always prepared to teach those, no problem. And they said, okay, great. This is awesome. We'll send you the syllabus for it. I thought that's weird. Normally I create the syllabus, um, but we're like three days before class is supposed to start. They send me the syllabus. It is a history of Christianity overview which is not a small class to teach on a master's level. And I'm like, man, I, when was the last time I studied Christian history in particular enough to teach it? So obviously I got the books out and started to jump in. And one of the books that floored me during that time and has floored me since, I, I continue to read it, I go back to it again and again, is called The Lost History of Christianity. And it's a book that particularly talks about Africa, the African and the Asian church, because Africa and Asia played a major part of Christian history for the first, and I want you to get this, 13 or 14 centuries. Seventh-day Adventist church started in about 1844, um, 
really start a little later than that, but that's, you know, we mark that certainly um, as our time. It's like 178 years, something like that. We're, we're babies compared to how old these churches were. In fact, they centered the world, their, their philosophical and theological thought centered around Jerusalem as the center of the earth. But there's this map from 1581 called the Bunting Clover Map. And it's figurative, of course. This is not how the world looks. I think we know that. But it shows the world as understood by Christians. Right? It comes from Germany, but you see some of the names of the cities and the countries where Christianity was thriving or had thrived. So as you can see back here, you've got Europa, but you've got Asia and you've got Africa. And you've got some pretty big countries, India, over there, Syria, Mesopotamia, Armenia. You've, you've, you've got these centers of Christianity that were thriving for hundreds of years. And, and when you begin to realize that the Christian church didn't just move by a movement of the Holy Spirit, you know, through the Middle East, then over to Rome, then through Europe, and eventually to the Americas, when you begin to learn that there was actually a whole other movement happening within the Christian church, you also realize that, um, that the history that we have is relatively myopic, right? It's relatively laser-focused on where it came from. But we got to talk about history a little bit. Does new information negate the previous understanding that you had? Now, this is a big topic in the world today because there's different ways of looking at history from different people's perspectives. And, and that makes us nervous because we think that the particular narrative that we were given, if, if it's not true, then maybe we're not true. Then maybe we don't understand things then maybe the truth that we were given when we were growing up um, um, isn't real. And so like, it's a free for all. I, I think we need to get rid of that feeling in our head. I think what we need to realize is that new information doesn't necessarily negate the narratives that you were given when it comes to history. What it should do is broaden it and give us more empathy for someone who experienced history differently than we did. There's a, there's a TED Talk, and I've had a real trouble finding it. So it might not be a TED Talk, but it felt like a te TED Talk when I watched it. And it was the history of America from our indigenous people's perspective. And it did it through the treaties that the American government made with the American Indians. Can you imagine the way they feel about the history of America and how different it is for them? And it was done by this professional photographer and he had amazing pictures of Indians uh, on their reservations. And it was, it was shockingly different than the narrative that I had gotten. Now, I can watch that and be angry and say, you know, they shouldn't tell me this because that's not the narrative that I know. But what it did is it created an incredible empathy within me. Part of it was because he told it so beautifully. Part of it was because the images that he used. But more than anything, I realized People experience history differently when they have a different perspective. And this is important for us to understand within Christian history. Because what it means is that God is working everywhere. Not just in the narratives that I get used to. So this is the question we have to ask ourselves today. Where is God working? Because if the answer is everywhere then that would have been true in history as well. 
And that means that the people from Africa or Asia or other places we meet in Scripture may represent a movement of God that didn't get all the press of the Western perspective. We know this. We know that God works in the hearts of people, right? Where's God working? God is working everywhere, but he's working particularly in the hearts of people. This is first and foremost, the Holy Spirit who witnesses to Jesus. That's all the Holy Spirit does. Every time the Holy Spirit shows up, he is witnessing to Jesus. So if you're thinking about Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit has prompted you to think about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to study about Jesus. And in turn, when we see Jesus, we are seeing the full revelation of God every time we think of Jesus. Because as we know, Paul speaks of it in Colossians 1.19. God was pleased to pour everything, his fullness, into Jesus. So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. It's a full Trinitarian experience every time we even think of God. And that comes from the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So we know that God works in the hearts of people. But then something else happens, right? People work in their families, in their communities, and in their cultures. We don't exist in a vacuum. We talked about that last week. Rather, we exist in the particularity of our lives. We impact those people and structures that are around us. And in turn, as our faith, as our hearts work in our families and in our communities and our cultures, our faith then impacts the broader culture, countries, and even continents. This impact overflows into the world in powerful ways. Millimeters become miles eventually. But this is biblical because we see it in Acts of the Apostles 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is how the gospel impacts. But it doesn't go just one direction. Because this is the power of the Holy Spirit moving. And I got to tell you, in the midst of this talk, this right here is where I struggle. Because what I want to do is I want to be a professor for a while. I want to sit here and tell you about the Nestorian church that moved through Iran and Iraq through Afghanistan. I want to tell you about Timothy, who was the holy see of the Nestorian church in 780 AD, a church that dwarfed the, the, the Western church at that point, where Baghdad was the center of Christianity in the East. Timothy, this Nestorian Pope is not the right word, but he was the leader of the Nestorian church. He sat on caliphates, um, in royal court. He sat in the caliphate's royal court. He, he translated the works of Aristotle into Hindi and Sanskrit. Like, this guy is amazing, and we've never heard of him. That church was bigger than what was going on in the West at the time. And by the way, this wasn't Orthodox churches. It wasn't like the Eastern Orthodox, you know, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox. These are a completely different strain of churches that reached into India through China, made it to Japan. Do you know that when Western missionaries got to Japan, there were crypto-Christians who were still partaking in the Lord's Supper with rice and fish that had been there for hundreds of years 
hidden because Christianity had essentially been eradicated through that time. But they were found out when the Roman Catholic missionaries made it to Japan before they were ultimately kicked out. There is so much to know about other cultures that have accepted Christianity. You want to know one of the most interesting things about the African and the Asian churches? The African and the Asian churches really integrated with their societies more than the Western church did. The Western church, as we missionaried the, the, the world, you know, kind of coming back around, as we did that, we had a tendency to say, this is how you do church. This is what it looks like. This is what it needs to sound like. We're going to do it in Latin. We're going to do this sort of thing. But the, the Eastern churches had a tendency to be much more malleable to the cultures that they were in. Right? So that means that they were having local worship services in local languages hundreds of years before the Catholic Church decided that's something that should happen. What I'm saying is, and we see this in Scripture, we see people of different cultures, we see people of different races show up and they represent a broader movement of God throughout the world. Now, the tragedy is this. Over years and years of time, most of that history has been destroyed. A lot of it came from Muslim conquests, but a lot of it came from political movements that finally squashed out these Christianities. But, you know, I, I want to stay here and just talk about this, but I digress, all right? I'm going to move on. It's just fascinating to me. But we have this hint in Scripture and early Christian history, and we see it mentioned the African witnesses in Scripture. And so we're going to spend two weeks on the African witnesses. One is Simon of Cyrene, and the other one is the Ethiopian, the Philip encounters. And we're going to talk about them in the context of what it means. Because, you know, obviously it's Black History Month, and so, so this kind of aligns. But we need to make sure we understand, you know, the history of Christianity Everyone in, the old, everyone in the Old Testament, everyone in the New Testament is a person of color. We understand that, right? The picture of Jesus that we have as a white person is really erroneous, you know? Um, especially a blonde white person. That, I don't even like that. <laughs> so we need to understand that we're talking about people of color, but there were certain people who showed up in Scripture that honor a different kind of Christianity, and then that honor the Christianity that grew significantly out of that. So today's scripture is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These three synoptic gospels all have this story. It doesn't say very much. It's pretty much one or two verses in each one of the synoptic gospels. And you know it. It says this, along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. We know this story. So where's Cyrene? Cyrene is in Africa, what is now actually Libya, on the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. Cyrene was the chief city of the region. It's about 450 miles west of Alexandria. And when we think of Libya now, we usually think of Muammar Gaddafi and we think of the Arab culture that lives there. But while today this is an Arab culture, it was not back then, right? Because the Arabs didn't come into that area until the 6th to the 11th centuries. And by the way, Cyrene was not a small little village. Cyrene was a thriving metropolis. 
The, the person that you probably know most of all from Cyrene is a guy named, I never say this right, I'm going to work on it here, Eratosthenes. You all know him. <laughs> of course. Eratosthenes. That's it. It's Eratosthenes. That was my fault. Now you know who I'm talking about. Of course, Eratosthenes. I've been working on that all week and I still didn't get it. He was the most famous astronomer. In 200 BC, he computed the circumference of the earth with remarkable accuracy. From Cyrene, we see poets, we see athletes. We see how the athletes excelled in the ancient Olympics, particularly in horse chariot racing, which is way more interesting than curling that I watched this week. <laughs> which, by the way, how, how, how did curling get into the Olympics? It's basically sweeping and rocks. That's pretty much it. I digress again. So the question we have to ask is, why in the world is Cyrene, is, is Simon the Cyrene in Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Now, we know that there was a thriving Jewish community in Cyrene, but we don't necessarily know if Simon was a part of it. It doesn't say. There's just not that much information about it. But we do know this. Jerusalem is this kind of centralized um, location for a lot of different trade routes. It certainly could have been the faith of Simon to come to Passover. It could have been that he was just there doing business. And even it could simply be curiosity. Simon may have been a devout Jew or he may have been there for other reasons. We do know that Simon became a believer. And we also know that his sons did because in Romans 16, 13, it mentions his son Rufus and Rufus's Mother, And there's also a traditional place where his other son, Alexander, is buried. We see that in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. You know, scholarship early on, said he was coming in from the fields. And that's why he was strong enough, because he was a day laborer, that's why he was strong enough to carry the cross of Jesus. But we don't have that information. That's by and large erroneous. This could have been a captain of industry. Simon could have been anything. But why do we include this? Why, why do you think the gospel writers included this? Because we are talking about an African Right? I think here's a couple of reasons, I think. First of all, I think it was included because it happens, and that's pretty simple, right? It happened. Just the fact that it happened, it needs to be placed in the story. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem and you're walking up the Via Della Rosa, the Way of the Cross, you see the fifth station. Some people say it's the seventh station. There's some argument there, but it's the fifth station, the way it's laid out right now, of the cross, where Jesus stumbled and put his hand out. Right? There's this, supposedly this handprint that's been touched by billions of hands over the last 2,000 years. So when you touch it, you go, I don't know, maybe. But apparently that's where Jesus tripped and fell. And that's where they asked Simon to come and pick up the patabulum, which is the cross beam of the cross. So I think it happened, and that's one of the reasons why it's here. I think it has meaning Right? And we're not trying to allegorize every single word in Scripture because that can get too strange. But we have to wonder why it was placed in all of them. Was it the Holy Spirit wanting us to understand something? Was it the Holy Spirit maybe 
maybe prompting us a little bit to look into Simon of Cyrene and see what was going on in the church in Africa. And maybe that wasn't the Holy Spirit's point when they wrote it, but maybe it's the Holy Spirit's point now because we do believe that there is still progressive revelation, that God is still teaching us things. So perhaps that's what it's for, that we move our eyes to Africa and we recognize the contribution of Africa and of Asia, knowing that it's not just a Western church. And I think the reason that the Holy Spirit wanted this put in here is because it can still teach us about the diversity of the kingdom of God. Christianity has never been a religion that was held by one people. It's never been a religion that's been held by one culture or race. While it has been used in both powerful and nefarious ways, while it has been used to colonize at times and marginalize at times, it has also been the story of salvation for untold billions of people all over the world. You know, what I love about this tiny text about Simon of Cyrene is that we know that he was available to be used, whether he was coerced into picking up the crossbeam of the cross, or whether he was willing to, it had an effect on him. And that effect, chances are, and we know actually, had an effect on his family, which had an effect on the church in Rome, which had an effect on the church in Cyrene, and the African Christianity. Now we understand this, right? The history of Christianity will always be a bit of a mixed bag. When faith mixes with a predominant culture versus a minority culture, when, when faith mixes with nationalism, when faith mixes with racism or with other ideologies that are less than gospel-oriented, we can get pretty ugly consequences happening. And we can get pretty ugly consequences happening in the name of Christ. Now, we just need to recognize that in our history as Christians. And as we recognize that in our history as Christians, we have to make sure that we are not making the same mistakes, using our faith to marginalize, using our faith to ostracize, using our faith to say you are less than and God loves us. Our history of Christianity that comes from the Western world is happenstance. Had the Muslims decided to go a different direction, the church in Africa may be where the center of Christianity really was. Or Asia might have been. But we got the history that we have. And now we have to learn how to live beyond that history, the good parts and the bad parts. But what we need to do, what we have to do, is we have to recognize the contribution of all people to the witness of the gospel because it's paramount to being a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, it's important that we understand our citizenship has never been in a country. It's never been in a race. It's never been in a culture. While all those things are real, that's not how we define ourselves. That is not the identity that we give ourselves or that Christ gives us because Christ transcends those things and Christ unites us. 
The gospel does not make us colorblind. Rather, it makes us recognize the beauty of creation of God and the differences that make up all who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is the new wine that Christ brought us into. I've said this before, but I'll reiterate it. It's the thing that Jesus brought to the world was not just monotheism, because there was monotheism that we can trace through ancient history in different cultures. It showed up. Even in Egyptian culture, there was a time when they decided, you know what, all those other gods don't matter. There's one God, it's the sun God. I believe it's Amenhotep. I could be wrong about that. But what Jesus did is say, there's one God for everyone. God's deities had been tribal before Jesus came. Even Jewish, the Jewish concept of God was, this is our God and our God is greater than your God. Jesus said there is one God and he's not just for our people. He's for your people. He's for all of us. And by the way, when you accept him, we become one people. We become these members of the human race in all our diversity, but all our unity. Luke 14, 7, 14, 27, kind of wraps up this thing with Simon of Cyrene, I think really interestingly, because it's Jesus speaking to his, to, to his disciples and he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I don't think Simon knew that quote when he picked up the crossbeam for Jesus. I think what he thought is this guy's hurting and there's something about this guy that I need to help out. I'm available. Because maybe that was the Holy Spirit working in his heart as well. I asked a question before this long history of, uh, of Christianity and we could sit here for many more hours. But the question that I asked is this, where is God working? Because I ask it again, as it is a question that should unite us, not divide us. Can you see God people, God working in people and cultures that are not like yours? Can we see that God is not relegated to one set of people with one set of ideologies or values? Rather, Jesus makes all things new. And in that new wine that he gave us, this new understanding of a God overall, universal for all. I think we recognize that God is still working in hearts. And this concept of Jesus being our King, this concept of our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven should mean that we are really open to learning about others, to learning about other cultures, about other experiences, about other histories, because you know what that does? It gains us empathy for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It changes the way that we think, and it also changes the way that we hold on to our faith as if it's ours and no one else's. It's something that we give away. My hope is that we are a community that not only celebrates diversity, which is probably an overused term. But it's a community that seeks deep empathy with one another and listens to one another's stories. So we can say, man, that's a different history. You grew up differently than I did. 
but that makes sense to me. I wanna know about your experience. I wanna learn about what it is that you know and how you've experienced, what's been great in your life, what's been hard in your life. And I'm so glad that the biblical writers decided to say, hey, when someone who's different shows up, they have a role to play in this kingdom as well. I find that really life-giving, really affirming and deeply uniting as a people of God, knowing that there is not one monolithic, homogeneous culture that we experience in the gospel, but there is room enough for every human being to be brought together. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I know that, uh, I know that we've extrapolated a lot from a little in scripture at times. But Lord, um, bring us to a greater understanding of one another if you could, and you can. Lord, help us to recognize the contribution of people who are not like us, of other races, of other experiences, of other narratives and other histories. Lord, let us not be afraid of seeing the world from someone else's perspective. And Lord, thank you for working through Simon and then through his sons to impact not just the Roman church, but the Cyrenian church, the African church, the Asian church. What I'm hopeful for is that when you come again and we have a millennium to sit and ask questions, that we can say, Simon, tell us about what your experience with Jesus was like and how it changed your life. And Lord, may we not be defensive of our history, but open to learning other perspectives. Lord, I pray this in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Oh, and thank you for the new wine that you've given us as well, to understand that your grace is universal for us. Amen.